I've seen things people wouldn't believe. Baby, I don't care. Have a drink. All the gin joints in all the towns in all the world, she walks into mine. Didn't do it. Why not? The whole thing's been wrong from the beginning, and I feel dirty. Is there anything I can do? Please, Dix, can't you relax for a second? My name is Ned, Walter Ned. I was thinking about that dame upstairs and the way she had looked at me. He's looking at you, kid. Yesterday, this would have meant so much to us. Now it doesn't matter. What can I tell you, kid? You're right. When you're right, you're right. Welcome to the Speakeasy Noir Cast, a podcast discussing film noirs of yesterday and neo-noirs of today. Each week, we're going to deliver a discussion of our analysis of classic noir films, and occasionally we'll interview up-and-coming directors and writers of new neo-noir films, all mixed in with our unintelligible banter. Your hosts for the show, Jason D. Morris and Carly Street. Oh, that intro makes me want to learn how to play the blues piano. Is there a blues piano? I think there's such a thing, isn't there? Maybe the blues Create piano one. just means like playing blues music on a piano. It maybe there's, an, or maybe does. there's like a could be like an infamous blue piano somewhere hidden it away in that, like New Orleans or something. Be yours. I think that should be yours, and you <laughs> should I, have a blue suit and a blue piano and a blue feather <laughs> like Elton John. Blues. What are you trying to say? That you should have a blue world and play I, the blues. I can't play piano. <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake, then why are you even bothering? I don't know, because I want to. Oh, well, why don't you just get like a backing track and then just move your hands at the right time? Like, do, 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 do. What? Just a don't back fall again off. Trap? What is a back again trap? No, a backing you... track. Oh, a backing track. <laughs> yeah, or a CD player, whatever. Just hide okay, it. all right, yeah, I'm going to pull up yeah. iTunes. Yeah, but but don't, don't really exactly. fall off because if you fall off and then the piano's still playing, you're going to have to convince people it's haunted or something. Oh, hey, ninety percent of acting is reacting, right? I can react to that. That's very true. <laughs> Haunted Objects Series Twenty Seven, Episode Nine: The Blue Piano. <laughs> well, how you been, Carly? Okay. Yeah, doing good. Went, How's the weather the out zoo. there? Oh, the zoo, the zoo, yeah. I didn't think you guys had animals over there in the UK. <laughs> it's the population. <laughs> I was pretty certain all you have are cottages. <laughs> Sheep have, outside. It's mine. You've got London and you've got cottages. Yeah. And, and Downton Abbey and Buckingham. Shut up. That's it. No. No. No That's animals. Everything else is just squalor. Except for maybe sheep. You got sheep, right? I think that's where yes, they came from. Sheep. Oh, I'm a terrible American. I know. I know. <laughs> so how was the zoo? What is your zoo called? Chester Zoo. Fester Zoo? Like like Uncle Fester? No, Chester. Oh, Chester. Ch- yeah, Ch- cheese. Got it. <laughs> I, just, I was picturing everybody walking around with light bulbs in their mouth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It was quite funny because we thought that we were um, we were trying to find something that this woman told us about randomly. So we were like pushing every single door, even if it said do not go in. We were just pushing it and we pushed one and it let us in. And we thought, oh, my God, we're in a secret little bit of the zoo. And Turned out the so bathroom? We were, <laughs> no. So we went through and it, all the lemurs 
were there and we were, we started we went to the other side and we started going King Julian and you're then not like tell me you got eaten King. by a lemur are you no and then we started no. like yelling King Julian at them from Madagascar and then we walked around the corner and came face to face with like 30 people and it wasn't actually a secret <laughs> part of the zoo it was just a part of the zoo and they were all recording on their phones and probably for 10 minutes all they could hear was two like disembodied voices going King Julian King Forest and then singing Madagascar songs I even pretended I was Alex the Lion at one point and roared that's funny so that was that was um, that was weird and then when we went in the gift shop, it was like fucking carnage. It was like game on. We were buying for not just for us, for like four people. So we were literally bursting kids out of the way to get this move. <laughs> that panda is mine. And then we, we had like armfuls of cuddly toys. The kids had nothing. Like there's kids walking around with a key ring. Me and my mate are there. I just can't carry the fucking stuffed toys. And then we stood there rating the cuddly toys because we couldn't decide which elephant out of all of the elephants to get. So then we were kind of like making them talk and see what their face represented <laughs> before we made a purchase. <laughs> nice. That's yeah, that's yeah. the only way to do it. If you're gonna you're gonna have that elephant for the rest of your life, you know, you gotta make sure what kind of face it makes when you give it a, a voice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we were giving them names and everything, and it was just people were walking past us like, what? They were moving the kids out of the way, like, just keep walking. Just fucking keep walking. <laughs> I went through the back cave with my eyes shut as well. <laughs> really? Were you scared? It was, oh my God, it was like Morbius in there. <laughs> Awful? Went through this little, yeah, it was scary. My friend really wanted to go in, and she, she loves, like, she loved it. So she went, oh, it's fine, it's fine. You won't just, like they'll all be sleeping or whatever. Went through the door. Fucking hell, fire! This bloody shadow lunged at me, and she went, "Oh, it's tickled my head." That was it. I literally grabbed her arm with my eyes shut, I squealing all the way through. Oh man, that's what we got to name this episode. It's tickled my head. It's tickled my head. I thought, why are you not having some sort of fit right now? And she's going, "Carly, look at the shadow. It looks like Batman." I don't want to. I just want to leave. <laughs> it was scary. Sounds there was amazing. a sign that said, don't leave with any bats. Like, what? Are they going to like attach themselves to me? I don't want a bat. I don't want it on me. Wow. That's I thought there'd crazy. be glass or something. Like, <laughs> no. Now, are you out here? They are. They're behind like a, a fence kind of thing, like an enclosed fence. Yeah. And like, so, no, that you can't commingle with the bats. <laughs> No, no. Honestly, it was it was like Morbius. It, they were just like swirling around everywhere. It was bloody terrifying. So and we then know I spent the 10 next... minutes like checking my clothes in case a bad crawled in. <laughs> <laughs> Still away. <laughs> well, we know where the next virus is going to come from. It's going to come from your guys' zoo. <laughs> yep. A bat like bit someone and that's right. it. <laughs> Carly biting the heads off of bats. <laughs> Get away! Oh my god! Oh my god! And then it's like we went down this other bit where all the butterflies are. And we were thinking, looking at these butterflies, thinking they they should not be out here. They are clearly meant to be in the butterfly thing. <laughs> so the butterflies are in an enclosure, and the bats are just free to 
contact. Well, no, the but the butterfly one's the same. So you walk through, like you walk through this tunnel, it's fucking butterflies everywhere flying at you. Gigantic, great oh. big things. They've got like tattoos and everything. Was there a sign that says don't take home the butterflies? <laughs> yeah, check your clothing for butterflies. <laughs> and I was thinking, what if we accidentally stood on one and it was like the last but that particular type of butterfly in existence and it's like oops well I, I i would be a little butterfly? maybe I, I would be pretty upset if like i was the last human and something stepped on me and the last thing they're worried about is oh we killed a species like yeah but you killed me <laughs> <laughs> so that poor butterfly is maybe like who gives a shit about my species you killed me <laughs> Maybe that's why they swarm at you because they are pretty like they dive bomb. They are like swooping. <laughs> so they're either mocking or they're trying to get outside. Right. I think trying to get outside. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a good time. It was so was that, fun. Yeah. Was that your guys' first time to uh, to the zoo or you go? Yeah, I took Lily like years and years ago but she would she was like a toddler and she didn't care she was just playing with grass <laughs> so and because it's quite expensive we haven't been back and it was my friend's birthday and she just she's like i just want to go to zoo oh very cool so we just went and then behaved like 10 year olds <laughs> would expect nothing less santa claus <laughs> <laughs> yeah um <clears throat> we went to uh a thing called the Renaissance Fair. Is that something Ooh. you're familiar with? Uh, I know posh people over here go to stuff like that. Well, I mean, nobody posh goes to this. Oh, okay. <laughs> These are people that like to live dirty. <laughs> oh, I like. <laughs> you dress up as, you know, as like a, in the Renaissance like time period, you know, it crosses boundaries greatly when you go to these things. There's some people dressed up like anime characters or furries or all kinds of crazy stuff. Knights. Oh, and wow. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of um, <clears throat> liberties taken, but uh, it's pretty fun. You know, it's all decked out in like sort of a medieval-ish, uh, you know, kind of array of, of things. And it's just a big dirt kind of loop, you know, that's secluded back in the trees and uh, you shop and, you know, they have like these shows like jousting and fencing and, you can try to do like axe throwing and things oh, like that. Shoot a ball. Yeah, that's pretty fun. Nothing. Did you dress nothing. Up as? I didn't. I didn't dress. I don't dress. Uh, up. Yeah, I know. I'm like. Why didn't you be a knight? That would have been dead funny watching you like squeak round, trying to, <laughs> trying to like lift your armor, throw an axe. I'm I'm not fond of the sunlight, and so those kinds of things get a little hot. <laughs> So I, I hate human beings and eyeballs <laughs> and sunlight. And exactly. <laughs> so I, I, I try to blend into the the non um, cosplay crowd. I guess I like looking at them. They're very cool. Some people are extremely creative, and other people were like, I don't know, decorating themselves in paper bags, which is also creative, but looks like paper bags. So it's um, yeah. There's, there's a wide array of interesting interesting people there that's uh it's fun lots of cool things you can't buy other places but you know cost your normal cool. like, i like quirky little shopping like that i would have been mm, one yeah. of the people dressed in like bags i would have been like thinking that i look like king arthur or something or maid marion and oh it's yeah they did some sort of carrier bag <laughs> like yeah with a curtain <laughs> as a veil or something here are you oh maid marion 
Right, Street's just going to show up as Spider-Man. I'm going to take back. All right, so uh, let's jump into the drink for tonight. Now, I think uh, in this movie they reference scotch a few times. Um, but it's not like for a main character or anything. So I like, I put that to kind of to the side and then kind of tapped into what this movie's, I don't want to say like famous for, like be kind of schlocky about it because it's, um, it's very much, um, a respected film in the LGBTQ plus. I'm just going to go with that. Cause I don't know the rest of the letters. My apologies. Um, uh, sort of, um, uh, lifestyle. Uh, so we're going to go with a, a fairly, well, from what I've been told, a fairly popular uh, LGBTQ plus drink called the uh, Taste the Rainbow. All right. Um, and actually, this one looks pretty cool. I, I can't wait to try this one. Um, it's got some stuff in it I like. And then one thing I don't. <laughs> um, this drink is one ounce of grenadine. Um, that's our smash bugs, right, Kelly? <laughs> um, half ounce of peach schnapps, which I anything schnapps. Why really. like? You like peach. that? Uh, well, mm-hmm. I mean, I can deal with peach, but not schnapps. I just don't like schnapps. I don't know what it is about it. I don't like you saying that word. Schnapps. Schnapps. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like saying it either, <laughs> or drinking it. <laughs> uh, one and a half ounces of pineapple juice. I love pineapple juice. I think Carly, you hate pineapples, right? <laughs> Um, I like to eat pineapples on a stick with cheese. With cheese? That's interesting. Cheese and pineapple and on weird. a stick. Oh my That's god, no. Another world. Cheese and pineapple on a stick. If you're having a party and there isn't a tray of cheese and pineapple, you can bog off. I'm going home and I'm taking my oh. present with me. Well, shit, I guess I can't invite you to parties. <laughs> no, no, you need to get, to, you need to start all your American friends on this cheese and pineapple stuff. I expect well, a tray. Nothing for, less. For me, pineapple and cheese, the only time that's together is on a pizza. And I know that this country is certainly divided on that one, but I like it. No. I've never Put it heard on of a like, stick. Oh. Is yes. there like a particular kind of cheese that it goes with? Um, Not really. I We Any have it cheese. with Red Leicester because, yeah, we have it with Red no Leicester because is. streets will just, it's like orange cheese. Street will just not have anything else. But I like all types of cheese, so I don't, I don't really, I'm not fussy. All right. I'm picturing you like kicking back in a chair like Wallace and Gromit, like eating your cheeses. <laughs> yep. Got a cheese board, man. Don't, don't yeah. try me. I won't. <laughs> All right. So uh, one and a half ounces of pineapple juice. Then there's one ounce of vodka, a half ounce of blue caracao, uh, which I have learned to pronunciate on a previous episode. <clears throat> <laughs> and you garnish with an orange slice and a cherry. All right. Um, lots of ingredients, but it's a pretty simple one. So you pour some grenadine into the base of a glass and slowly spoon in some ice cubes. Nobody does that slow, but I guess it's just not get splashed, right? In a shaking glass with ice, combine peach schnapps, pineapple juice, and shake well. Slowly pour your grenadine, filling almost to the top. That's a lot. <laughs> in a separate shaking glass with ice, combine vodka, a blue caracao, shake well, and carefully layer on top. Garnish with the orange slice and a cherry. Um, so it does. It's very cool because it's layered and it looks like a rainbow uh, because oh, of the cool. ingredients. Yeah, so it's kind of a cool little drink there. All right. So I'm kind of excited. It sounds really sweet. It sounds like there's a lot of grenadine in it, but even though it says yeah, it only an ounce, 
Yeah, it's like only an ounce, but it says slowly pour your grenadine, filling almost to the top. <laughs> like, I don't know how to do that, but okay. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to give that one a try because this sounds pretty good. Um, and with that said, Carly, uh, let's uh-huh. let the folks at home take a listen to tonight's movie. this film. All right, kids. What do, what do they say? Uh, uh, girls and ghouls? Because it's the Halloween season here. And we're not doing like a Halloween. Is there a Halloween noir film? We should probably look into that. But Well, we, we had the, the Red House, didn't we? Last that's year. true. Now that's kind of horror-ish, yeah. But I wonder if there's like one that's kind, mm. kind of a Halloweeny theme. That would be hell. I said Halloweeny, Halloween, Halloween. But uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no war film. Well, maybe we just need to make one, right? We got we got all kinds of like ideas brewing for doing a noir. But um, anyway, <laughs> I digress. Uh, that was the trailer for the 1996 film titled Bound. 
Uh, Bound is a uh, American neo-noir crime thriller, and it was written and directed by the Wachowskis, um, who previously were known as the Wachowski brothers. I I'm honestly don't know how to um, reference them these days. Um, I, I think that they're, they're both a transgender or one of them. I can't really remember. I didn't keep up on it. Um, but, uh, at the time of this, they were still called the Wachowski brothers. Um, and, uh, this was their directorial debut. Um, they had previously worked in the writers, I guess on the writing team for a film called assassins, which if I recall had Antonio, Antonio Banderas and I can't remember who else. Did that have Bridget um, Fonda in it? Bridget Fonda. Oh, um, uh, I, I wonder if I'm thinking maybe, of something similar. Yeah, Bridget Fonda like was in like a sort of an action film. Um, I can't think of I've got what like it a was poster called, in my head. Uh, yeah, like I don't a know. Um, yeah, I don't know. Was she like in the that remake? Oh, of she was the in film, The Kita? Assassin. Yeah, the yeah, assassin. yeah, it was, it was the okay. US re- remake. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. Uh, Never mind. Okay. Um, and, uh, it was, uh, financed by Dino De Laurentiis, um, and it was made on what was considered a small budget, um, of $6 million, which we could probably make like 12 films with that or more. Yikes. <laughs> but yeah. there we go. Uh, the cinematographer was Bill Pope, um, who I think did a brilliant job in this film. Um, and there was an interesting, um, crew member on this film by the name of Susie Bright, uh, who made a cameo in the film, but also acted as a um, choreographer to the sex scenes. Um, and we can get into that a little bit later. Um, until, so before we get into too much more though, we do have to do. And now it's time for Carly's super famous in a nutshell synopsis. Most right, elegant how-to for aspiring criminals. Most elegant how-to for aspiring criminals. Yeah, one of them actually is not an aspiring criminal, though. I'm going to call you on this one because you're, you're in a nutshell are pretty damn good. This one right here, though, a little shaky. All right. Well, so I don't one think of them, so. Because one of them just yeah, got she, out of prison. She got out of prison, but not for... Stealing shitloads and shitloads and shitloads of money after That's breaking true. and entering at least twice and almost like cracking about 15 people in the head to the point of death. So, actually, <laughs> she's up to a game, really. She's gone from the person who robs the radio out the car to the mob meister. <laughs> the mob meister. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah, she did take out the mob, right? Or, well, at least she let Caesar take out the mob. <clears throat> um, Plus, but, uh, I mean, funny, she's probably still got a part-time job bloody fixing sinks. Because <laughs> that's a good racket. That's a good bloody number, that. That's true, yeah. Oh, man, that first, uh, what was that, a bathtub she was cleaning out at the beginning of the movie? That was some nastiness. <laughs> what the heck was oh, down in that yeah. thing? Oh, God, That's, it was like a horror film where all the, the water changes a different color because there's a dead body underneath the bloody floor. Ooh. Right? Yeah, exactly. That was that was nasty. It did look like something out of a horror film. <laughs> um, you know, 
this movie is kind of interesting because I, I really think it's a, um, it's a very solid, solid film noir, you know, film, but as most neo-noir films, um, just don't do really well these days. And this is, you know, Jesus, 96, 2016, was it 30 years ago? Whatever it is. Jesus, I'm getting old. Oh my um, God. Thanks for shaving me off. <laughs> I'm like, I saw this in the theater. <laughs> oh God. Man, I was like, God, I must have been like 16, 17. No, 16. Yeah, wow. 17. Yeah, 96. Yeah, 17. Wow. Oh, you naughty person. 17 in an, oh, yeah, in an 18 then. rated film. Shocking. Yeah, yeah. No, nobody cared out here. That was a regular thing. Uh, it was pretty easy to get into R-rated films out here. Um, even nowadays, it's like they just—it's the buying the ticket part, and getting into the actual theater is not a big yeah. deal. But you know, if you got to show, what ID, you do you is buy a ticket for one thing, and then you just depending what the cinema's like. They've changed it a bit now mm-hmm. because I think generations of people fleeced lots of films. But they used to used to buy a ticket for one, and then mm-hmm. you'd sit in it, and then you'd go to the toilet. But because the screens were all like in a bit of a labyrinth round, mm-hmm. you could accidentally find the wrong door and just sit down. Right. Yeah. And I think that still happens a lot. Absolutely. Um, I probably haven't done that. And I, I, you know, I believe I did that with Shawnee probably about 15 years ago was the last time I did that. I don't even know what we saw, but. (laughs) Did you get uh, bored of one and think, stop this, let's go see what else is on. (laughs) No, we just, we went and saw the movie we were supposed to. And then when it was over, we just hopped into another theater and watched another one. (laughs) We just looked up on our phones screening, you know. That's like physical piracy. Yeah, it is. But it's for our eyeballs only, so we're not trying to sell it. So don't sue us, okay? I don't even remember what the movie was, so it's not going to happen. <laughs> oh, I don't even know what cinema it was. I can't remember. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, you know, I think for um, 1996, coming off, uh, I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's we're halfway through the 90s right now. Um, and... In the 80s, anytime you'd get a neo-noir, it was generally like kind of cheesy with crazy colored lighting. I'm looking at you, DOA remake, you know, there's just certain films that just kind of made it come off a little cheesy. Um, And I think that they did, uh, they did right by the noir style with this film. I think it's got just about everything that you could want in a, in a, in a noir, really. Yeah. The lighting, the femme fatales, the crime drama, the, um, you know, the less than moral everybody, <laughs> you know, in the movie. Um, it's just very, and it takes place in San Francisco, which is awesome. And I'm pretty sure that that building that they're in in this film, um, I, I, I think maybe Vertigo it, it's in, but I can't, I just, oh. I can't recall what film it is. I mean that, uh, that this building is, is in, in a classic noir film, but, uh, I remember the parking lot and I don't think that there was a gate around it though at that time, but it's extremely familiar to me and I don't know why. And maybe it just could be cause I live in the area. Um, but I don't, I don't know where that building is specifically, but, um, I know the interiors were in a studio, um, only because I found out this very interesting, little tidbit of set design, the floors, which were very cool um, in this film, all the wallpaper and the flooring and everything looks really cool. Um, But the flooring was actually wallpaper 
Um, oh, which, wow. Yeah. Right. It's like, it makes total sense because I mean, that would Classic. be a lot of tile and stuff, but <laughs> you know, for building a set and that's just, wow, how brilliant. Um, and I'm sure it's probably common, but I don't know. I don't work at a lot of set centers. So, um, I thought that the room cool. reminded me very much of, um, you know, in the matrix when, uh, oh, the, the, oh freaking out. when they go into the matrix, that room that they're all set up in, you know, with the wallpaper. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Green and white wallpaper where they see the deja vu cat and then they all get attacked and they take Morpheus. Oh, yeah. That just yeah, reminded yeah. me. Like, that was like a carbon, like, not a carbon copy, that's wrong, but it was so similar. It was almost as if they'd walked into that room in bound, but like 30 years later. Right. Yeah. You in know, the, and they're in the Matrix. They're kind of known for, um, I don't want to say stealing, but they kind of steal. Like, they stole a lot from Alex Proyas in Dark City. Like, even, um, sorry, uh, the crow, not dark. Um, wait, I'm confusing this. Wait, no, it was the, it was dark city. They stole the, all the sets, uh, from dark city. And most of those sets were used in the matrix. Um, so all the buildings and everything that you see in the matrix are literally from dark city. Um, as well as like a lot of, uh, uh I think the, most of the crew actually was from dark city. Um, you know, a lot of the, they styled it a little to sort of reminisce or give a nod to Bound. I mean, because I that's, saw so many aspects, like so many little, just one second little things. That I thought, oh my god, that's gorgeous and, and brilliant. And you can, I can just, you can kind of like see all the ideas for the Matrix and how they shot it. You can kind of see little bits of it in in Bound of them putting it there. Yeah, no, I I do agree that there are similarities. I'm not 100% sure if they were trying to pay homage to their own film or not. Um, that's very possible. But I did read yeah. that they were heavily influenced by Sin City, the comic book, um, in how they designed Bound specifically, um, which is very stylistic uh, in and of itself. Yeah. Um, so my and, favorite shot, I think, is the, is the peephole. Yeah, I mean, there's the peephole. Oh, there's really some great ones, honestly. Yeah, and I think that they did they did a really great job with a lot of. I mean, there's a lot of subtleties in this film. Um, Some sexual, some just odd, but they're in there. Um, And I was gonna bring this up a little bit later. I swear, I don't know if it's because I seen this movie like several times previously, but. Um, that I remember, like there's this poster hanging in one of the, uh, in one of the scenes. And I seem to remember that actually being a film, but I oh. tried to look it up and it, I can't, f- I cannot find it. <laughs> so I'm no. not sure if it's like my brain remembering having watched this film or not, but I swear on my life, I remember that being a film. And if anybody out there knows Please let me know. So there is a scene where um, I I think it's uh, um, Corky is uh, saying something to um, um, Jennifer Tilly about uh, Caesar being jealous or no, I think I can't remember. It's something about Johnny. Johnny is always hitting on her, always hitting on Jennifer Tilly's character, Violet. And she says... um, well, he always hits on me. Johnny will hit on anything in stilettos. Right. 
and which is kind of funny. Um, but then later on when Caesar goes to Johnny's house, there's, you know, that's just, it's world building really. They did a great job with world building on this. Uh, you see like various posters in his living room of women in stilettos. <laughs> and one of them is a poster. It's a white poster with the woman's like legs and wearing stilettos and the movie title or whatever it is says stilettos and like a red lipstick or something going across it. And I swear on my life that I've seen that poster somewhere and they probably oh. made it for this movie, but I, I thought that that was a film and I looked it up and I found a 1969 film called stiletto, but I don't think it's the same one. Cause I could not find this poster anywhere. And there was very little information on, on even, you know, anything related to that being in bound at all. Like I could find nothing about that poster and bound. Um, but I thought those little like um, subtleties were really cool for like their world building. And another kind of uh, less um, a, a sexual thing that they have is they have like a, a, um, a mannequin's like arm, which is like a necklace jewelry holder, but it, it kind of looks like um, a hand, you know, I don't know how to say doing something for a woman, <laughs> you know, um, which I thought oh, was kind of funny in the background. Like, I thought it was kind of funny. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's just my brain being like kind of high on like the sexual tension of this film or something, but that sort of like stuck out cause it's in several like kind of shots, but there's a lot of like little world building kind of things like that in this film, which I thought were really kind of cool. Um, yeah. that really Layers. felt like they, yeah, exactly. That they really kind of did their homework, um, on, on building this film. They didn't just make a first like directorial debut kind of thing. They really went in there and it feels like they mapped this movie out from the cinematography to, I mean, everything. It was just, it's so well put together. Um, well, I, that, I saw um, on one of the DV I know it's, I'm going to say in the matrix again. I don't mean to, but I'm using it as a reference. I um, had a great big, massive, like super DVD set of the matrix and it had all the behind the scenes stuff. And you're talking like hours, hours of content. And I sat and watched it all. And when you see like every single second of like, not only every, sh every scene, every single second of every single person that worked on the film's day was like planned out in this huge, like they didn't have like a production binder. They had like a daily binder for like everybody, every wow. single person. It was so meticulous and that's why it taken so long. And it was for, if I remember rightly, it was for all of the three films, but obviously they'd only done, they only filmed one, but it was in, they were supposed to be doing it as a trilogy and it Wait. was the work that must have, the preparation that must have gone into that was absolutely insane. Wait, wait, what, what I were they I don't know how it was possible. What movie? The, for The Matrix. But they did make three of them. No, I know, but they were supposed to film all three at once. Oh, oh, oh. that's why I was confused. So, like, wait, so, is she talking about bound? Yeah. Was it supposed to be three bounds? I'm <laughs> 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 so confused right there. Okay, yeah, yeah, I got you. All right. Yeah. So yeah, it was like instead of just a, like one production binder that's kind of like copy for people, it was like every single department had every single person like had their own, mm -hmm. and they had their own. Um, it, they had like um oh god like mood boards, mm -hmm. it's something like that, and pictures and and drawings and hand drawings, and everybody had like 
collages that have been made personally for their specific aspects and everything wow. was so regimented yeah i've never i've never known and i've never seen anything behind the scenes like since it's gone to that extent of dedication and, and organization but then if they did that similar thing for bound then you can mm. see how they've managed to get so many layers right yeah it works so well and being their first film, I imagine that they did, you know, I, I it just, it, it kind of shines through because I don't think you can off the top of your head, come up with a lot of the cinematography choices, even, um, especially on what no. at the time they're considering a shoestring budget and for being shot on film and like so highly stylistic, it's, it's one of those things that just like, you can tell a lot of work went in there. Um, I'd love to see like some behind the scenes archives stuff, you know, even just from the production. I think it'd be fascinating to see. Right. Yeah, I agree. I wish I know that there's a um, a DVD out there with some commentary and things like that, but there wasn't since this movie wasn't um, a huge hit at the theaters. Um, it didn't really, you know, warrant a, a big, you know, uh, home release so to speak, although it did become somewhat of a cult classic. Um, Plus at the time, don't forget, you didn't really have big DVD extra content sort of box sets until what? Well, no, I mean, this was 96. Middle 2000s. Really. I mean, I like, think... They re-released everything on DVD with all this special content that they'd found that had been locked away for years. So, And that was only for big films. Right, yeah, for big... Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. I, I remember there's still being some pretty heavy special edition, like movies come out, but they wouldn't do it for something that was just sort of like came into the theaters and went, you know, which I think this was only in the theaters yeah. for like a couple of weeks. So like it didn't, it didn't do well. It made half of its budget domestically. So it barely hit $3 million domestically, which is like bad. Right. And then made another. It's been very hard to market. Well, I imagine so. I mean, because like in the nineties, I think, uh, the old LBG, I'm going to fuck up these letters. <laughs> L LBGTQ. Did I get that right? Um, was really sort of like, um, becoming more, um, acceptable, I guess in the, in the nineties, like at least from what I remember from my perspective. So things like that, I think, uh, for a mainstream movie was still taboo or at least, um, at least for like just a, a mainstream film, you know? So I imagine that there probably weren't a lot of theaters that were going to want the film. Cause it, it really, it only, it opened to a very small number of theaters. I think like less than 300 theaters. Um, wow. Which is, is extremely small, you know, even for like the nineties. Right. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think that um, had it been, I don't know, I still don't even think it would do well today. I think, I think today nobody would care. And I think back then nobody wanted to care. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so I, I feel like even today it wouldn't really do well. It would be like a. Probably not cinema wise. If it was something that was dropped on a streaming service, mm -hmm. I think it would be a word of mouth kind right. of frenzy. That's kind of what happened, you know, in its initial release is that's really what yeah. it was. It, 
didn't do well in the theater, hit home video and kind of, you know, really caught on with people. cult following. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, Except so there's it, more exact accessibility now. So if it did have that same cult following, people could just click on Netflix or whatever right. and it's instantly there. Whereas back then you had to get yourself to Blockbuster, you know, to see if you could get a video. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah. It wasn't just easy to do that. Yeah, that's true. Um, and uh, I, I think that as I was watching this, I like you were talking about the matrix and then making three movies. I was really like, they should do like a sequel to this, even like this far down the road. Like the actresses still look great. You know what I mean? Like they could do a sequel on this easily. In my oh, opinion, I, I would have loved like a series, you know, like a six part gritty film oh, yeah. series sure. where it showed all the people that they then went on to fleece. Oh yeah. Or something like that. I think that, or like the mob sort of coming back and them outwitting anybody that comes after them or just something that would be absolutely fantastic to watch. Well, I think if it was me, I would, I would take a spin on it because obviously like these two people are in love, right? I think that so much time has passed. Something got soured and now you have these two extremely strong women because if you look at their characters, like Jennifer Tilly, like she's not portrayed as like the strong woman in this, right? Corky is. Um, She's sort of like the tough, um, you know, manly person. And Jennifer Tilly is like more of the sex pot, but she goes through so much in this film and has to hold her shit together. Oh yeah. In my opinion, she's really the one that's like, she's the real tough one. Right. So I could see like these two having some kind of conflict 30 years later, whatever it is, or something that's been mounting. And then something happens where these two go at each other and like a whole kind of like Hitchcockian, like, murder mystery backstabby kind of thing where they're, you know, either setting each other up for something. And like, I'm yeah. just, I know this is very vague, each but like one, each one has like twisty. a kind of plan to get <laughs> yeah. rid of the other one. And exactly. Yeah. It all hinges on like one doing one thing, which ruins the plan of the other thing. And yeah. Yeah, yeah I know. Thinking like death becomes her kind of like super like <laughs> just twisty and, and crazy, you know, uh, noir thing. I, I really think that they could do something really cool with that. And of course, it would break everybody's hearts that these two aren't together, that kind of thing. But maybe they end up, maybe it's like a maybe Romeo and Julia kind of thing. At the end, they die together. You know what I mean? Like maybe that yeah. was always meant or to be. Or they both knows. rediscover their love for each other because they realize. Yeah, out of sneaky, evil. <laughs> she's a sneaky sod. Yes, back in that's, love. Boom. That's brilliant. There, yeah, that that works. So Wachowskis, if you're out there, make another movie. I think it'd be amazing. <laughs> um, so uh, they said that they had a lot of influences with in film noir from uh, Billy Wilder, and I believe they even. Um, they requested to Joe Panel. I'm gonna fuck his name up. Joe Pantoliano. I believe that's how you pronounce his Here name. Here we go again. <laughs> Sorry, Joe. <laughs> he's an amazing actor too. I love. Him. He's great in The Matrix. Great in this. But my all-time favorite film that he's in is, if you guys have seen it, Midnight Run. He plays a Bell's bondman, and uh, it's just he's just fantastic. 
Um, but I love him and everything that he does. And he's just such a great... Oh, yeah, absolutely. He No, I know that's a really stupid suggestion because it's a film noir podcast and I'm not. I'm not advocating that Bad Boys is a brilliant film. However, his character, that angry little man playing yeah. basketball, yelling at them, fucking brilliant. <laughs> he's, he's the highlight of the fucking film he is when he's ripping a strip off them. Oh, brilliant. Absolutely, yeah. No, it's it's he's just, he's fantastic in everything he does. So, and he's that type of person where he could, if with the wrong director, like the wrong script, he could be a total joke. Like if it's not handled right, but he's such a great actor that when he's utilized properly, I mean, he just, he just stands out so well. And like, there's one of my favorite yeah. shots in this movie is when he opens the brief, the briefcase and realizes there's no money there. And I mean, like you can just see the dread and the despair and everything on his face and they use that snorry cam effect where it's like the camera's attached to him and he's like, oh my God, you can just like feel him imploding. And yeah. it's just so great, you know? Yeah. But um, I really liked him in Memento as well. I always thought. Oh, yeah, was, of course. Um, yeah, he yeah. was overlooked, though, because even I'm guilty of it. Oh, Guy Pierce, Guy Pierce, Memento, the story, Christopher Nolan, blah, blah, blah. Actually, he freaking. I wouldn't say he makes the film. But he definitely takes it to that ne next level. If you didn't have him as John G, mm -hmm. it all could have kind of fell a little bit flat. Yeah, I don't. I, I wouldn't say yeah. he makes the film either. I think the plot does, but I no. think he yeah. makes. I think it hinges a lot. Yeah, I think he makes the plot work. Like if if yeah. if he was any less believable in what he did, like it'd be one of those movies where like I've already solved it. You know what I mean? Like I, I yeah. already he's you know you already get it. He's very different. If you look at him and Natalie, to me, even though she's not bad, mm -hmm. she's less believable than he is. Mm -hmm. So sometimes in the, in the shot, in the scenes with her, you do pick fault with things that don't necessarily make sense. Whereas right. with his character, you don't at all because you're just absorbed in him being him. Right. That's the difference. There's probably little bits to pick, but you don't. Your brain doesn't want to. Right. Yeah. No, I completely agree with you on that. Yeah. But uh, the Wachowskis um, asked him to watch John Huston's The Treasure of Sierra, Mo uh, Treasure of the Sierra Madre. I always leave the the out. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, and focus on Humphrey Bogart's character in order to portray Caesar's paranoia. And I'm sure wow. you've seen Treasure of Sierra Madre, um, Carly. Yeah. But a, yeah, but a long time ago. It's not one of my favorites, if I'm honest. Oh, really? Because I really loved Humphrey Bogart in that film. Uh, and to ask him to latch on to Bogart's paranoia in that film, I mean, I thought that was a brilliant choice that I would have never even thought of. Um, yeah. Because he he does play the paranoia piece very well in that film. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, he's very much like um, the despair and the spiral. You kind of like you naturally go with it and feel like you're in with it. You know, like Michael Douglas in Falling Down. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Daft, daft idea on paper. Daft uh -huh. idea explaining it, really. Yeah. But when you watch it, you completely understand. Yep. When that movie first came was, out. This was similar. Yeah. Uh, I remember watching the trailer and I'm like, fuck Michael Douglas. I don't even like this guy. <laughs> right? Yes. And man, I saw that movie and it was just like, Wow. And Shawnee and I just recently watched it because um, I was talking to her about it and she didn't remember the film at all. And I was like, oh, you have got to see this movie. Um, and man. It's quite that, similar in the game as well. 
Well, you know, I, I really, so I have, I got deep thoughts about those two. <laughs> to me, um, I think his acting really shined in falling down and with the game, I thought that was just such a great directed film that I don't uh, necessarily yeah. look at him as being like a shining, like, I don't think that was yes. like his best acting. He wasn't bad by any means. Like I would never look at him and be like, he's bad in that film or anything, but no, I he didn't mean, yeah. yeah, he didn't really like sh- his brother in that film. Like even though his brother was barely in it, I thought it was yeah. pretty good, you know? Um, but yeah. I mean, there was lots of pieces in that film that were just like so crazy that to me, that's what really, really shine the directing of it and making that story, you know, come together as to where with falling down, it's like, you have this very simple story, man trying to get home. Right. Kind of thing. And his just unhingedness in this film is just like, and, and how he makes, he makes himself so relatable. Like he does this crazy, like outburst thing. Yeah. And then you're like, and then he's like, Whoa, Whoa, I'm, what do you, I'm sorry. Like, you know, why are you scared of me kind of thing? You know, and it's like, well, yeah. cause you just fucking beat the shit out of him or whatever, you know? And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah but you deserved it. <laughs> it's like, it's hard to argue like, yeah, they did deserve it, but holy fuck, you're psycho. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's a bit um, like that with Caesar though, isn't it? You're like, oh my absolutely. God, you forget, like he's a mob. And it's like, oh, yeah he's a mob (laughs) right right and it's like even like the first scene where not the first scene we see him but the first scene where he like kind of speaks and corky shows up and he's just like walks in the door and like starts flying off the handle because she he thinks that his his girlfriend or wife or whatever i don't even think they ever really said right um is with another man or something because you know corky's like character is you know very manly he's just like you know, flies off the handle and then she turns around. And is like, Oh, 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 I thought, and it's just like, he, he is able to like juggle that so well, you know? Yeah. And he does that a few times. I, in the I, film. Yeah. I loved how, I think, I think the one of the best things about it is how his character's biggest downfall is that he always assumes it's another bloke. He always assumes the person that stitched him up is a bloke. He always assumes that the person she's off with is a bloke. He always assumes the only person can kind of bring him down is a bloke. And that's how he gets completely blindsided. Yeah, you know, I didn't think of that. That's actually an excellent point. Um, Because you're right. Yeah, it's very, it's underestimating, you know, what's right in front of you kind of thing. And yeah. it was. He'd have been more aware. He wouldn't have been in that situation. But he just, as soon as, like in that scene you were saying, as soon as Corky turned mm-hmm. around, defenses dropped. Never mind. I think you muted yourself. There oh, you go. I'm back. As soon as a scene. That was the last thing I heard. Oh, as soon as that's uh, that scene, you see him drop, like his defense, and just go, ah, no problem. Right. Yeah. Or I think like his realization of it when he picks up the phone and, you know, uh, I can't remember the exact circumstances, but something about like Jennifer Tilly's character, Violet, was calling uh, Corky and then she gets caught and then he redials and redials until he hears the phone in the other room. And when he finally realizes that she's a part of it, he's like, 
you know, he's just like, yeah, I should have known. And, and I think that that really, what you said really hits the nail on the head there with like completely underestimating, always thinking, thinking that it's a man. Um, and just like, just not realizing what's right in front of him. But uh, that's an excellent point. Um, so, um, I know you don't like females in films. Um, and I think you probably like sexual, like erotic films even less. Um, it's, it, obviously this film has both of those things. Um, but I did want to talk about a little bit about, um, I think the, the film itself is sort of, I wouldn't say famous for it, but it's praised quite a bit for the sex scenes and how they're, um, uh, I guess portrayed as being more natural than most Uh. sex scenes kind of thing. Um, and there was, um, a little bit of information I was able to find where, um, the big, I wouldn't say the, like the big sex scene, but there's one particular sex scene where the camera doesn't cut or anything. Um, which is, it, it's a really great, um, scene, like the way it's filmed and it's, it's beautifully lit and everything. Um, but the camera just sort of like floats around the bed, um, and just the lighting, just it's one of those shots where you would expect once I get around to the other side, that the lighting is going to be fucked up. But for whatever, however they did it, it's it's really well lit, in my opinion. Um, and I do agree that like it doesn't feel forced or anything. It's a very it's like a very well choreographed. Um, yeah, it doesn't feel like the issue I have sometimes is that they put them into tick a box. So you'll have a scene. Regardless to the film, the plot, the characters, doesn't matter. But mm-hmm. they'll just shove a sex scene in there just to tick a box or to be controversial or for any reason. Whereas it didn't feel unnecessary. It didn't feel exploitative. It actually felt relevant to the actual story of the film as you were going along with it. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's like a... really surprising. Yeah. That and- doesn't happen often. Right. And, and I think it even goes further than just the sex scenes themselves, because with the, the character portrayals, even when um, Violet is coming on to Corky in the very beginning, like they're really building like attention. And I, I tried to like when I was watching it this time to really sort of like, what if Corky was a man as like studio execs wanted it to be, you know, um, what if that was how is this going to play? Would that play? Would I view this differently? You know, if that was a man, so I, I kept watching it. Well, yeah. And that's what I came to the conclusion was, is like, I really would. I would view it differently. Um, I, I think if it was a man, I would feel like that was completely unnecessary. Right. <laughs> and it would be exploitative. And right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Um, which is kind of strange. But then obviously it was relevant to their stories for the situation. Well, I think it speaks volumes like sort of um, how we interpret media and, and the things that we see. Like if you look at that and you would think, well, if that was a man, that would feel totally exploitive. But having two women, it's not. And it feels more, I don't know if it's interesting or natural or whatever it might be. Um, that really, I think it's like, a, is it a lack of seeing it one way or the other? Or is it a, um, a judgmental 
sort of thing? Mm. Like, or is it being told that like when you see sex scenes between a man and a woman or things like that, that that's just exploitive? Because I hear that a lot. Like there's, there's been, you know, horror films have had sex in them for a long time. There's uh, exploitation films, there's grindhouse, all kinds of different things. Um, but, um, you always hear about like, you know, like you were saying just a minute ago, like just a sex scene being there just to be in there sort of thing. But a lot of times they're not. And just because they show up, people just call it exploitive. Um, you know what I mean? And it's See, like. That made me think, though, is it the way that it's been shot and choreographed that's made difference? Exactly what I was getting to. Yeah. What? <laughs> exactly what I was post. getting to. <laughs> That, that, that's precisely my point of view is that I think it's because they had, um, this woman, Susie Bright come in and choreograph the scenes and because it's so well lit, I don't think that they, they lit this in a way that had anything to do with sex or or eroticism or any of that kind of stuff. I think they were strictly sticking to the noir and um, shooting it was all about camera and the characters. Um, and I think that that's what they focus on is a lot of times when you see, um, in certain shows and movies, um, they throw in, uh, like the gay couple or whatever it might be to sort of, I feels like it's to get a rise out of you or to like shock value kind of thing. Right. And with this, it didn't feel that way. It was like you're, especially that first scene there um, where she's having her filler tattoo and stuff. It's like any other way that that would have been played would have been, would have felt exploitive, right? But as you're watching it, it's just kind of like, I mean, these are just two people that like each other and they're letting it be known kind of thing. And it like worked really well. Um, And it was that way with every intimate scene between the two and even scenes that were um, not about the sex or whatever. Like even the, like one particular scene was uh, like when she calls her later on um, and she puts her hand up to the wall and you see the camera kind of pass over the wall and you see uh, Corky on the other side, that kind of stuff. It's so, it's so intimate, you know, uh. in such a natural, like really cool way. Like I, I know I've seen that kind of stuff in other films and it just, it feels kind of cheesy, but it just doesn't here. And I can't no. fully put my finger on it, but maybe it's just a full on, um, you know, compilation of all the things mixed in from the cinematography to the script, to the actors, whatever it was. Um, but it just feels so well done and like natural that um, I think that uh, a lot of films are really hard pressed to even come close to matching um, that sort of level of intimacy that this film is able to portray yeah. in a non-exploitive in connection. way. Although in connection is, it's like an emotional connection, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I mean, if you, if it was any other movie, I, I feel like anybody would just consider it exploitive. Like just, just off the top, just whatever. Yeah. It would just, it just would be, it would just be an erotic thriller. Right. But it doesn't feel that way because like, again, like trying to, picture it being quirky being a man and then watching this i mean it really would feel like any other film noir film and you wouldn't even think twice about it right um and, and i think that that's kind of the brilliant of the wachowskis and how they 
played this out or planned it and the acting and everything all together, just really, it, it felt so cohesive and, um, Mm. realistic as far as their relationship goes, you know? Yeah. Obviously there's over the top stuff with like the mobsters and the, the blood and all that kind of stuff. But, um, other than that, it's like, it just, it's very grounded. And, um, you know, I don't have any experience with like, you know, lesbian lovers or any of that kind of stuff. I have no idea really, uh, you know, I've, I mean, I've had friends and stuff, but I don't know like how that acts, how they act like behind closed doors or any of that kind of stuff. So I don't have any of that sort of firsthand knowledge, but, um, just watching the film and taking it for what it is, it, it feels realistic, I guess, you know? And I think that's where most of the, um, LGBTQ community has kind of praised the film, um, as having that sort of natural, realistic, um, um, scenes like that, sexual tension scenes or whatever yeah. you want to call them, um, in the film. Um, and, and part of I that, think, I think it's, it's good that it, that it's not sometimes, um, there's always a conversation and I feel like that's unnecessary because that wouldn't happen in real life, especially, you know, now with how accepting everybody is and how educated everybody, you know, people are and, and everything like that and how confident people are in themselves. And I feel like similar films that I may have seen, you have to have that rant from the main. So the, so uh, Caesar would have to at some point have some rant. Yeah. And you don't but, get that. Yeah, it you doesn't do happen. You do not have really. that at all. No, and, and, not at and all. Being and from that's, that's a real strength. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. As old as this film is now, that's like, that's kind of an amazing thing. Even today, like when you see, uh, I don't know, certain ones that come to mind are like how to get away from murder or um, I can't even think of it. Some of them just feel so forced. And yeah, you're right. Those conversations are there that are just kind of like, I mean. I think the problem is sometimes it. <laughs> I think the problem is so like you write you write about what you know and you write about situations that you're aware of or you at least find characters that you that you have experience with. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the time, sometimes the big Hollywood machine, it just hires whoever had a hit. So you could have written Armageddon about fucking comets, made no sense scientifically whatsoever. And then they'll go, oh yeah, can you just do a film please about, <laughs> um, you know a gay couple that want to adopt. They have no experience about that. They don't know anybody that's been through that situation and yet they still get commissioned to write that and then it gets changed to tick boxes by people that don't understand and have never been in the situation and then they release it and then they... Do you know what I mean? So I think maybe this benefits from the fact that it hasn't happened that way. Right. Yeah. I absolutely agree with you on that. Um. So moving on from that, um, uh, I'm going to go back to Susie Bright only because um, she did. Uh, so, so what happened with her? The reason why she's even involved with this film is that the Wachowskis knew of her because she was known um, as a feminist writer and a sex educator. And they really just wanted to be endorsed by her in terms of like their script. They wanted to see what she thought about it. Well, she wrote him back apparently and told him that the sex scenes are like, there's hardly anything there. There's like no, there's no details or anything. And she thought that that was like odd. So she offered, um, to help them with that. Um, and, uh, 
she ended up being asked by them to be an extra in the movie. So in a bar scene where you see Corky go to the bar, she's actually the woman that Corky goes to hit on um, that's sitting wow. by herself. And then her girlfriend shows up. Yeah. Wow. So I thought that was kind of cool. And everybody in the bar apparently is a friend of Susie Bright's. Um, wow. That's cool. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, but um, I also found it very interesting that um, the the original script was very light on detail as far as the intimacy scenes went um, because they're so well done in the film. And I, I can only assume to attribute that to Susie Bright's contributions. Um, I guess apparently she was like a, a sex consultant for, for those scenes. And I'm assuming probably helped choreograph and design them because that's what she's labeled as a sex scene choreographer or whatnot. Um, so that was pretty interesting. Um, Let's see. Um, did uh, did you notice the music at all in this film? Yes. Because I I personally like really liked the music. Um, and I I looked it up and I couldn't find any kind of a release of the of the the score, other than some promotional CD that came out. And I thought that was like a huge disservice because I really enjoyed the the music. It's something that like. Um, it wasn't just background music, no. um, as you could find in some like neo-noirs. Um, but it really, I thought it was, I really thought it should have been celebrated. Like it, you know, this, this is a really good score and I don't know the composer at all. Um, Don Davis. Um, but, uh, he's done a lot of stuff after looking him up. Like I, I don't really recognize any of the films that he's done as like being amazing scores per se. Um, but he's, uh, he's done a lot of stuff from police Academy to toy story, <laughs> but, um, wow. yeah, like all kinds of stuff like he's worked on. Um, but, uh, it was a little bit like every single part of it was its own character. Well, and that yeah. would include the music. Yeah. Yeah. No, I absolutely agree with that. Yeah. Um, and I just thought it was just really well really well done um as far as uh as far as the score goes and it just it i wish that there was a release of it out there um i'm sure somebody's got to have like some sort of um bootleg or something i'm sure it can be found um and they did also they tried a hashtag to, don't like right? release the snyder cut we'll be like release the soundtrack and <laughs> release the davis score <laughs> um they tried to get um songs from um Frank Sinatra in the film, like they had this whole list of, of tracks that they wanted to use, um, but they couldn't afford it because back in the 90s, music was really expensive for films. Oh, and I'm kind of glad that the, I, well, I really am glad that they didn't because as it is, I think there's like maybe three or four songs, like needle drop songs in the movie. And then the rest is uh, Davis's score, which um, I really enjoyed. So I think if they had had all these Sinatra songs, I think it would have overpowered that. Um, and I don't think we would have got as much of the score in the film as there is because I really think it adds to the character of the movie. Um, but yeah, anyway, I just wanted to bring up the score cause I, I thought it was pretty great. Um, so my last thing before we get into rating this Carly is, um, I came up with my worst line of the film and best line of the movie. All right. And I know this is oh, something okay. that. 
you you've kind of done in the past and we've sort of let drop a little bit, but I couldn't help with this movie because it stood out so much. <laughs> so I, I do have a, uh, I do have a worst line. I've got a best line. So I don't know if you've got something like that in your mind. No, I don't, it. but we should do this every, every time from now on. I agree. I have to sit I agree. this one out, but okay. moving forward. All right. So moving forward, we'll definitely do that. Um, where, who, whose line is it anyway? Segment. <laughs> I love that. I know, right? <laughs> um, all right. So my worst line I'm gonna start with because it's so bad. Um, and it's it almost takes you out of the movie if it doesn't take you out of the movie. Like it's and it's said by Christopher Malone. That's how you pronounce his name, Maloney? Law and Order. Dude? Fab, isn't it? Uh, I don't know. He's okay. Um, I like him in some things, other things he's just I don't know. He's, he's okay. <laughs> he was fabulous in Superman when he was telling him, I'm going to kick your ass. And then he put a plane in the face. I don't know. Brilliant. He's in Superman? Like, yeah. oh, like one of the newer Supermans? Yeah. Oh, I don't, I haven't seen any of them. I, I'm a Christopher oh. Reeves fan. So, I mean, yeah, I, was fair not in, I wasn't interested in any of those new Supermans. Um, yeah, but, uh, yeah, I did watch the Batman versus Superman, which that's a Snyder movie, oh, right? God, yeah. that was not know. a good one to s- no. Well, I mean, yeah, <laughs> no. So, anyways, I, I always, I don't know, Christopher Maloney, I think that's how you pronounce his name. I was, he, he's hit or miss for me. If he's not playing the tough guy, he can just come off kind of silly to me, but, um, and here he was kind of 50-50, right? So he's he's a little comical in a way, even from the way he dresses, like the super loud, like red suits. And I don't know, it was just kind of cheesy to me. But, but all um, 90s mobsters look like. <laughs> I don't know about that, but all right. Remember Leon? Yeah, I do. But they yeah. weren't bright, bright colors, were they? I don't remember them being bright That's because colors. it was France and they don't <laughs> do bright colors. <laughs> mm. Well, I lived here in the 90s and I don't remember anybody doing bright colors in that other than like, you know. Oh, shut up. You had like blonde hair. Are you telling me that yellow isn't a bright color? <laughs> and you weren't even a gangster. I can't believe you remember that. Just yeah, saying. that's true. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Before Eminem came out, damn it. <laughs> um, can't tell we'll anybody. We'll see me one though. day. No, I know. We'll as see me one day, Jason. No, as soon as Eminem comes out, everybody's like, oh, you're copying Eminem. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> um, I had that same problem with, uh, I, I would wear those, um, um, like, uh, I don't know what you call them, like uh, um, bowling shirts. You know, with the stripes, like uh, uh, Charlie Sheen wears in Three and a Half Men or whatever it's called, Two and a Half Men. Oh, okay. Right? We don't really have them, but yeah. Okay. So so I started wearing those like um, way before the show even existed. And I never, I never watched that show. I've never seen an episode of it. Um, but there was a movie with um, um, John Favreau and uh, what's what's his friend? That in- oh, Swingers. Swingers, right. Right. Yeah. So then they dress like that. I really fucking dug that movie. Right. Recognize it from a shirt. Yeah. That's, that, that's what I'm saying. That's why I, so I, I started wearing those kind of shirts. I really love that movie. Um, so I'm still a poser, but whatever. It wasn't Charlie Sheen though. Um, and uh, I remember um, I was wearing it the very first time that I met Lance actually um, was uh, I, I had put money into this movie 
and um, got to be on set. And I wore one of my, uh, I don't I again, I don't know what to call them, a bowling shirt. That's what other people call them. Um, I was wearing one and uh, Tim Thomerson was there who I love Tim Thomerson. I think he's awesome. Um, but he's like, Hey man, so, uh, that shirt, are you like a fan of two and a half men? And I'm like, I'm like, no. (laughs) And I never watched the show and I didn't know that he wore those shirts or anything like that. And he's just like, I could see it in his face. Like, like you're full of shit. (laughs) Right. And I'm like, we well, think you're a child machine fan. You've done it, right? Now. I know. And I'm like, I'm like, fuck. I don't. I'm, I'm like talking to one of my heroes here, and like, I don't know what to say because I'm just like, no, I just, I don't know. What do you, does he wear these or something? <laughs> it's like, and you could just tell. Like, I guess everybody knows. Everybody watches that show, or whatever. And I felt so fucking awkward. <laughs> anyway, how the hell did we get on this? We don't know. Oh, oh, oh! Chris Maloney and his his crazy suit choices. <laughs> Yeah, maybe back to your worst line. <laughs> okay, my worst line. Yeah, this is a terrible story that went on too long. My worst line in the movie, Chris Maloney, when he gets shot and he's like, don't shoot. Oh, yes. Yes, that is a well, little bit cringy for being that honest. That was yep. so fucking bad. Because he kind of pauses as well. So he's like midair. Yeah. And, and before he falls on the floor, he actually speaks, even though he's like been shot in the heart or whatever. Speaks and then goes, ugh. And it just hits the floor like a sack of shit. Yeah. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> All right. That's out of the way. That's what you'd say. You, you'd be like shouting, fuck off or something. Yeah. You would be like, oh, don't shoot. Right? <laughs> I know. Yeah. We'd just... be like, screw you. It, it was like a laugh out loud comical in like the worst way like it shouldn't have been funny like I, maybe it was meant to be funny obviously but it was just like too too um i don't know too over the top for me um but uh okay so my um my uh best line in the movie i actually got two of them because um i couldn't decide which one i liked the best and uh so i got two there's a line um, where, uh, Jennifer Tilly tells Caesar, um, that the cops are coming or something like that. And, uh, and Caesar's like, they're just cops. Stall them as long as you can. I'm like, I just thought that was hilarious that it, they're so yeah. nonchalant about it. Like, oh, it's, they're just cops. <laughs> that was so just, funny. Just bl- they are just so blase. Like, Yeah. And then she comes back a few moments later um, when the cops show up or whatever. And she like kind of echoes that to him. She's like, what? They're just cops. <laughs> like, what's the big deal? Right. Um, and then my it wasn't second. wasn't a big deal. <laughs> right. And then my second one was uh, uh, Caesar is like freaking out because of the whole like affair that they're having and stuff. And he's got Corky tied up on the ground and he goes to. Um, Violet and is like, what did she do to you? And she says, everything you couldn't. <laughs> I was just like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Knife right in the heart. That's the twist. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my gosh. She, yeah. she reminds me so much of Shawnee. Like she's such Go a girl. strong woman, but it's like, if you get in her way, if you piss her off, like you better watch out. She can be vicious with the words. <laughs> so I can't, I can't recall what she says. 
when, spoiler alert, when she shoots him in the face. So he says something, they're arguing about it, and he says something like, oh, you won't shoot me or you can't shoot me or something like that. And she just looks right at him and she says something to him and just fires the shot. Boom, fuck off. Oh, man, I can't remember. I really like that. No, I can't remember what, what she says. Interesting. Um, I can look it up. I can just remember. I can see it right now in my ha- in my mind. If I just she just says something that that sort of like blase, like yeah, bang, <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's like well, right before he right before he falls into the um into the paint, right? Yes, and then he does his little paint thing, you know, where it's like the fucking Terminator, where right. he's coming out the bloody nitrogen thing. <laughs> he's doing all that, but it was just, it was just fantastic. Just that, just that moment where she, she just said, "I wish I knew what she said." She says just that moment where she looks at him. She says, "Caesar, you don't know shit." <laughs> there we go, bang. And then he's in the fucking paint. Yep. And that's a great, like I had this when I was younger, I had this fascination with like red on white. And again, maybe it comes from this movie. Cause so like there was a couple different things. There was this movie with the paint and the blood. There was a song by stabbing West westward that came out called red on white. And then there was this film, um, brain scan with Edward Furlong from Terminator two which had these scenes where he murders somebody in, in like in their bed and they got white sheets and there's like blood everywhere. It's like crazy. Um, and so I don't, for whatever reason, I like in my teen years, like I always loved the colors of red on white. Um, and I think it has something to do about all three of those things happening around the same time. It's like a serial killer's palette. (laughs) Right. Yeah. No, I mean, I red and white. Right. All right then, mate. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I know it makes me sound like a psychopath, but um, I think that adds to like your sort of creative sensibilities too. Like you latch onto certain things that like really stick out to you. Um, and those things like really did stick out to me. Like, I mean, come on, like they really set up the, the white paint fairly early on. Right. And then knowing, you know, that everybody's pointing guns or whatever in that room with the paint spilled everywhere. It's like, you know, this is going to happen. I thought it was pretty iconic. Um, there was a little editing sort of thing that bugs crap out of me in that scene, though. When she's shooting them up, you see like the squib blows air into the paint. There's no blood, just air pops into the paint from his well, back. they had a low budget, love. Budget I spent. know. I would have just cut it out. We forgot about a, bull, a bloody bullet wound in our film, so we cannot <laughs> criticize. <laughs> what was that? What did we... What did that we... was Dark Winter where it was on the left-hand side and then it was on the right-hand side and we had to come up with a whole contraption of what oh, happened. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. So we can't really complain about squibs if we're being honest. That's true. I think it was supposed to be an arrow yeah. shot, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's what you get so when coming you shoot up with that over two years, Jeez. right? <laughs> Trying to come up with how the hell that could happen. I don't know. Don't know how. <laughs> well, I, I don't think people were terribly concerned about continuity in that film. And, yeah. <laughs> I think we left them so confused that they're just mad. <laughs> it's that's a time warp. It's fine. Yeah, I don't. I think it's pretty cool, but whatever. Um, so yeah, all right. Well, Carly, I think we're at that time to um, go ahead and uh, 
rate this movie. So, I'll get out. Who's right. going first? I think, you know, I'll go first because uh, last time you went first and I didn't even go second. Um, yeah. So, and that's your fault. I, that's, that's, I'm not even, I'm going to blame you. So that's just how it is. I mean, uh, fine. Okay. <laughs> Let's add it to the list. Right. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So as I said previously, I do think that this film has a hundred percent, uh, the noir elements that you'd want, uh, in a film. If you're going to do a neo-noir, this, this really encompasses everything, um, from a straight noir film. Um, we're not talking about trying to mix genres and doing like sci-fi noir or anything like that. We're just talking just a straightforward noir film. This carries everything, uh, from the lighting, the acting, the characters, just everything about it, like screams noir to me. Um, and I just, in that respect, I just think it's just a fantastic movie. I think I like it better this watch than I've ever, you know, liked it before. Um, it's just really, really well done. Um, I think that the, um, for not knowing, not being there, I, I, as you said, Carly, I do think that this is a very meticulously planned film. Um, even with their small budget and having changed cinematographers right before shooting. Um, I think that they did a masterful job of planning the, the lighting and shots for this film. It's extremely cohesive. Um, it has some very interesting camera work for such a, uh, you know, closed off, you know, sort of script that takes place basically in just an apartment room. Um, they just keep it so interesting um, with the with the camera work, um, and a lot of that also I think is just attributed to the actors um, and, and their just ability to just to carry a, a film as leading uh, as leading actors. You know, um, Joe Pantoloni and um, Jennifer Tilly and uh, uh, what's her name, Jess, Jessica Gershon. I think that's her name. I'm probably butchering that. My bad, but. Um, um, Gina, Gina Gershon, right? Anyway, um, I thought they just pulled off their characters just brilliantly. Um, and I'm, I'm going to give the movie a nine out of 10, um, solely because of that line from Christopher Maloney, the don't shoot. I, I thought that that was the one flaw it didn't hit comedically wow. in the right way to me and it damn near took me out of the movie because it's such a high tension scene and such a like, Holy fuck. He's like screwing himself right here. Um, and then to pull that, like, I just thought it was misplaced. Um, and that is the only thing that robbed this movie from a gin bottle for me, um, is wow. like, me line. Um, I think it was that bad. Um, but everything else in this film, I don't, I don't have a, anything bad to say about it. Like I couldn't really find anything that I disliked about this movie or thought was done poorly other than that one little line. Um, and that was it. That's, that's really all I got to say. I just think it's just a, wow. I think it's a really brilliant film. I far think it exceeds anything they've done in the matrix or anything since. Um, I think this is, uh, I mean, I could say unfortunate for them that they haven't progressed in my eyes as filmmakers. Um, but um, then again, it's like a filmmaker that is able to make 
a directorial debut this strong is pretty damn amazing. So, I mean, props to them. Um, they don't have to do better, <laughs> right? All right, there you wow. go. Okay. Um, I'm also going to give it a nine out of ten. Right. Very cool. Um, but that is because purely based off the length, I oh. felt like it was a little bit too long. Interesting. So I really liked, I felt like, so you know when she starts taking the, the bits out of her ears, which I thought was absolutely brilliant to be a criminal mm. that can lockpick and you've got it in your ears as earrings. <laughs> that is amazing. I'm right. so getting myself some of them. <laughs> I'm go- I'm literally I'm going to go get my ears all pierced and have a lot picking shit in my ears because yeah, that's, that's amazing that's that world building I was talking about you know they, they yeah. find those little things that are just like yeah ridiculous I've never in my life seen anything like that and I was like that is bloody genius I could actually <laughs> become a burglar off this <laughs> um, and I felt like I was really like okay here we are we're going for it and then it slowed down a little. And there was another portion where they were explaining the plan and what was going to happen. And I thought, right, we're in it. They're going for it. And then it slowed down a little. And then towards, I want to say towards the end, but it wasn't. Um, right, oh my God, he's rumbled them. He knows <laughs> what's going on. We're going to get into it. And then it slowed down a little bit. All right, folks. Well, there you have it. Uh Carly gives it nine gens out of 10 and I give it nine gens out of 10 for entirely two different reasons. But uh, I think, and I'm sure Carly does too, that you guys should check this film out at home if you haven't already. And if you have, revisit it. I do think that this is a a great noir film, neo-noir film, um, that's well worth uh, watching and a rewatch. And uh, I hope that you guys get a chance to try out the... um, taste the rainbow drink and uh, enjoy it when you uh, watch Bound. And uh, we'll catch you guys next time. Bye-bye. He's looking at you, kid. Thanks for joining us this week on the Speakeasy Noircast. Make sure to visit our website, resurrectionfilms.net, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or any of your favorite podcast apps so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. If you like the show, you might want to check out our book, The Dark Side of Acting Up and The Dark Side of Acting Up Volume 2, now available on Amazon. Or you can check out one of our films, also available on Amazon Prime. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Speakeasy Noircast.